Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. All right, put your hand on your heart with me. We're going to start with some agreement this morning. I want you to say this with me. Say, something is going to change today. I believe God has new mercy for me. And I desire everything he wants to give me. I will not be a spectator in the stands of the saints. I come as an active participant. Say this, speak, Lord, Lord. lead me, me. free me, me. do all you want to do today. today. If you agree, that's say amen. 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 Well, listen, it was well over half a century ago that monastic thinker and writer Thomas Merton observed this. He said, the biggest disease in North America today is busyness. Now, this was before... Most of our advances of modern technology that have reshaped the daily realities that we live on. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that in the last 60 to 70 years, the situation hasn't gotten better for us. We've got to ask the question this morning, what is the true cost of our busyness? What is the busyness of our bodies, our souls, and our spirits costing us? And is there any hope? I want you to consider this with me this morning. One third of adults right now in the United States are chronically sleep deprived. That means in this room alone, you're looking at 50 people who are currently holding a pace of life that is robbing your body from giving God and others your best. Now before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb in 1879, the average amount of sleep per night was 11 hours. Today's average is just under seven, and and I, I don't know how to tell you this, but human biology hasn't changed. We have. I want you to consider this. The average smartphone user clicks, swipes, or touches their phone an astounding 2,617 times per day. And for millennials and younger, the number is a staggering twice that amount. The average smartphone user in America uses their phone for eight hours and 41 minutes every day. That's more than a full-time job. Texting, calling, streaming, uh, web browsing, social media, and checking out YouTube. I want you to consider that 42% of Americans say they experience a significant amount of worry and stress on a regular basis. Note two words there. Not that we say do people experience stress. We're people. In the world you will have trouble. No, 42% of Americans say they experience a significant amount of stress on a regular basis. 
For those that are under 35 in the room, it actually moves to the majority. It's 51% of that population. 37%, that's two in five, feel that their mental health at the current time is fair to poor. If you go a little bit further and look at our activities, I want you to see this chart that I saw recently of who we spend time with as we grow. And so you can see here the picture, the, the yellow you see is alone, spending time with a partner, spending time with coworkers, children, family, and friends. And the ages move from age 20 all the way to 80. And, and what you watch in the hours per day is that when we're young, there's lots of activity and lots of people, people stirring all the time, people around. And, and the older that we get, what you actually see is there's not as much activity and there's not as many people. And this is the problem that I see when I look at this chart. At the same exact moment, many people are overwhelmed and overworked, while others feel lonely and purposeless. But everything I see represented on that chart is a life of people that are living restless. Here's the big idea I want us to see this morning. Our souls, bodies, and spirits have a restlessness problem. And we must stop trying to ignore what God is crying to restore. We have a restlessness problem. Our souls, our spirits, and our bodies are restless. They're always on, they're always going, they're always thinking. And we've got to stop trying to ignore something God is crying out within us to restore. We've been in this series called The Lord is Our Shepherd, and we're looking at Psalm 23 at five distinct ways that God comes as a shepherd to our souls, that we would receive from him deeply, even things we've heard before, that they would take a new reality in our life. But not just that, that we would be able to turn and release them boldly to the world around us. Two weeks ago, as we kicked off this series, we looked at the Lord as our sufficiency, that he is our treasure that alone will satisfy our hearts. Today, I want to look at the Lord, our sustenance. I want us to spend a few minutes together looking at rhythms of rest and roads of renewal. And so you can follow along with us in the notes on the Bible app. We're picking it up in Psalm chapter 23, verses 2 and 3. And it says this. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. The first point I want to make to us this morning is this, that God labors for our physical rest. God labors for our physical rest. What am I saying? I'm saying he's working so you can stop. I want you to note what this passage, what the psalmist says first. He says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I believe that if we would slow down and understand what we're reading, that God's word will speak to us deeply. If you look in the Hebrew, those words lie down. God makes us lie down. It means to stretch oneself out, to rest, and to get comfortable. What I think about when I think about lying down is I think about what it's like when you get home from a long day of work and, oh my goodness, you don't have to see people anymore except for the people that you're with. You're home. You can relax. Does anybody, anybody have a, a different change of clothes that you get into when you get home? Oh, yeah. Listen, you're going to know when I've shifted 
from work mode into home mode because two things are going to take place. I'm going to come out and I will be wearing, I promise you, every day, I don't care what the temperature is outside, exercise pants and slippers. Right? I'm wearing a shirt too. But exercise pants and slippers. So if you've ever had the opportunity to have me come to your house and I show up with exercise pants and slippers or for the worship team who we practiced and they saw, John saw me this week and he's like, well, you're coming comfortable. Here's what that means for me. When I show up that way, I'm saying, hey, I'm just here to relax. I'm just here as your brother. I'm just here as your friend. I'm not on. I'm not professional in this moment. The first word that he says is that God makes us lie down, that he wants us to rest and be comfortable. But notice it says this, God makes us lie down in green pastures. The places that he's inviting us to are not dull and dry and drab. They're living and vibrant and fertile places. But that's not the word that gets me most excited in this part of the passage. He says, God makes us lie down in green pastures. You know what the word pasture means in Hebrew? Check this out. It means the habitation or home of the shepherd. The pasture is the habitation or the home or the abode of the shepherd. What's he saying? God is inviting you to live where he resides every moment. And in that place, he doesn't want you to work. He wants you to put on the comfy pants and the slippers and just be you. Just be at home with one who loves you and sees you and is enough. He makes us lie down in green pastures. The picture that I see here is John chapter 15. When Jesus talks about him being a vine and us being branches that are intimately connected as one with him. And the picture we see in John 15 is this, that when you and I choose to lie down, what does a branch do in the vine? It's pretty still. If you ever go check it out, if you have a field trip and you say, here's what we're going to go do. We're going to go watch what a branch does in a vine today. You're not going to see a whole lot of activity. But if you could see underneath the surface, you would see that the vibrancy of life is stirring and that it's going to bear fruit. That when we would rest in God, when we would lie down, when we stop striving and performing and hiding, that fruit will naturally come as a byproduct. See, here's the idea. It's this, that most of us fail to physically rest because our souls have convinced our bodies that there's still work we must do in order to be enough. Let me say that again so we get it. Most of us fail to physically rest because our souls have convinced our bodies that there's still work we must do in order to be enough. Ironically, in the kingdom of God, it is only when we find our worth in him that we begin to rest and true fruit follows. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, there's one more word we didn't talk about in that first phrase, and it's the word makes. I love this. In Hebrew, the word makes is literally he compels or he causes me to lie down. I believe this is what is meant in the New Testament when it says that God is always working in all things for our good. I want you to notice something. God is not causing all things. Let me say it again. 
The stuff that's broken in your life. God is good. He can only bring good. God is not causing all things. We're in a broken world. Sometimes we do things that are causing brokenness. Sometimes other people do it. Sometimes it's a result of sin in a fallen place because we're not home yet and we're still seeing through a foggy pot and we can't see him face to face. God does not cause all things, but God is working in all things. Even your worst moments. He's drawing near as a shepherd and transforming your trial into an opportunity for his goodness. He draws near on the field of our lives, which, by the way, is you. He wants you to live where he is. He draws near to you to cause you to be still and remember he's good. Let me say that again. Psalm 46.10, be still And know he is God. It literally is when you will be still, you will remember that he is God. Does anybody have broken things going on in your life today? Two people in the room have broken things going on in your life today. I'm going to be all about participation. And we declared this morning that we're going to be active participants and not spectators. I'll ask one more time. Is anybody in the room having broken things going on in your life? Okay. So in our brokenness, here's what happens. Our bodies all the time are saying, your soul needs to work harder so that you can do something to figure it out, to be something, to not be in that broken place anymore. But God is right now working in the brokenness of your situation. And what he's trying to do is to work for your good, but here's the way he often has to do it. Because we don't listen. We don't get it. So often what's going to happen is you're going to get stressed out and you're going to be like, God, where are you? And he says, hey, guess what? I'm making you lie down for a minute because I'm good. I'm making you get to the place where you'll be honest, where you actually, there's, there's some places where all of us walk as Christian unbelievers. We don't actually believe what he says. That's true for all of us. And there are places in my life where I say one thing and it is so great for me to preach it to you until brokenness comes into my field. And then brokenness comes into my field. I'm like, God, why aren't the promises working? And I want to promise you this all the time. God is working so I don't have to. God is working in all things. In that broken thing you never wanted to happen, you need to know this, the most active participant in that situation is your God. You say, oh, this person did. God was more present. And God right now is working in all things. But it means that often what he's going to have to do in his goodness is make you lie down. He'll cause you to get still. And here's the beauty. When you will be still, you will remember once again that he is God. He is working so we don't have to. So here's the question I want to ask. If God is working for our physical rest How can we follow the Good Shepherd into rhythms that restore our physical rest that will lead to our soul's rest? How do we restore physical rest? I'm going to give you three quick steps here. You ready? Number one, we need to choose daily rest. We need to make a friend of sleep. Psalm 127.2 says this. It says that God grants sleep to those he loves. I want to get, let us in on a secret here. Sleep is a gift that's meant for your delight and your good. And for somebody hearing my voice, it is time 
to stop seeing the denial of sleep is a funny quirk that you laugh about and call it what it is, a barrier to your wholeness. It's what we do, right? Oh, yeah, I just stay up to all hours and I just don't get enough sleep. Ha, 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 ha. That's not what God says. He says, no, actually what's happening is you are chronically putting yourself in the position where you are worn down and you won't see me clearly, which means your circumstances will speak louder than your creator. And for some of us, the step right now, and you go, man, I, was, I, I thought I was getting spiritual counsel. I hope we would all understand that we're body, soul, and spirit, and we are one. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do today is actually set a schedule for your sleep and keep it. We need to make a friend of sleep. The second I'll say is this. We need to choose weekly rest. We need to honor the Sabbath as holy. Anybody know what the first human activity was that we ever participated in? I'll give you a hint. God created us on the sixth day, and before another thing is said, it says, and then God rested on the seventh day, calling it holy as a Sabbath and setting it apart to the Lord. Did you know the first thing we ever did before God blessed us, before God called us to co-reign with him, before God spoke a single word, the very first thing, the most primal thing you can do as a human being is rest. God created us from rest and for rest, that we would live in rest. Sabbath is before law. And I believe it's because God is pleading with us to see that he has hardwired something in our DNA that we require, just like food, just like water, just like sleep. In fact, I'll go this far. I will say, I believe if you could actually see our souls the way that you could measure a whole lot of other things with our bodies, like counting calories. If you could see our souls, you would see that we need and require the Sabbath exactly like we need sleep and food. Have you ever gone multiple days in your life without sleep? Anybody been there? Yeah. Ever been in the place where you've gone a few days, you've had to be up a long time? What starts to happen? Here's what happens when you stay up too long. You ready? Your body gets delusional. You get moody, you get jittery, you lose your clarity, you lose your edge, and you begin to feel sick. And it's not remedied by anything else other than sleep. Here's my question. What do you think is happening to us as we skip the Sabbath? Christians want to talk about how broken everything else is, and most Christians don't Sabbath. And I would say, what would happen if we actually lived like Christ in us as the hope of glory and actually believed the most primal thing he called us to? Because a lot of times I see a lot of Christians not acting a lot like Christ. And if i got to be honest, it looks more like not they need more spiritual discipline, but I see a whole lot of people that are hangry because maybe their soul is not getting the rest it requires. God made us for Sabbath. And for some of us, if we're being honest, we're like a machine. We're always on. We're always available. We can't remember the last time we stopped to delight to truly see our family, to see our creator, to engage in creation not as a worker, but in wonder like a little kid on a playground. That's what Sabbath is supposed to be. So if you're here in Sabbath and you're like, oh great, another thing I need to do. No, Sabbath's the thing where you stop doing. Sabbath's the thing where you remember again, if you want the one rule of Sabbath, what do I need to do on Sabbath? Delight! Bet you've never heard delight screamed at you like that. What's the one rule of Sabbath? Stop working and be his kid. I promise if you'll do that, you're Sabbathing beautifully. 
We need weekly rest. The third one I'll say is this. We need to choose a lifestyle of rest. We've got to guard our yes by honoring margin. Now, I got to tell you, the first two of these I gave you on the list, regular sleep and a Sabbath, guys, I'm killing it. I'm doing great at both of those. I do them consistently. They become a part of my life. I show up. This third one is a constant road of growth and surrender for me. In fact, I'll tell you, in the last few years of my life, I've, I've not grown in any more area more than I've grown here, but I still have a long way to go. I'm nowhere close to the station called home in this. I say yes to way too many things. I overextend my soul way too much. And so this time, I'm not going to show up and say, do what I've done. I'm going to say, I'm going to give you some observations from a soul that is surrendering on the road. And here it is. This is what I'm learning, that God hasn't called us to say yes to everything. He entrusted you and I with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because it's sufficient. What does that mean? It means every time I show up in a room and say, oh, I'm just too busy, what I'm actually saying is this, I'm giving my yes to something God didn't. We doing all right out there? Listen, every time we show up and say, I'm too busy, I'm busy. <laughs> I was told this past week, my dear friend, that I'm busier than God. <laughs> every time we show up and say, I'm too busy, what we're actually saying is, I'm giving my yes to something God didn't. I'm venturing out into steep cliffs, in a sense, completely solo while my shepherd is waiting back at green pastures for me. I got to tell you, I, I can be so guilty of this. My heart sees brokenness around me in the world and need or something inspiring that I just really want to be a part of. But this is what I'm learning, that we need a regular rhythm called margin that would learn more than anything else, not zeal, but obedience. To hear from God what our lane is in the kingdom of God, when to say yes and when to say not now, and to unapologetically protect our yes. If anybody is like me in this, and you've heard time management thing, and you saw where we were going, you're like, oh gosh, another time management talk, because you feel like, I've heard it a thousand times, and I can't make it work. we got a blog coming out tomorrow morning that is specifically about the heart issue of why we run so hard. I want to encourage you, if anything I said in the last five minutes, you're like, that's me, you need to read that blog tomorrow. They're my most honest thoughts about how we can actually start to change this. We need margin. But now before I move on, I've got to give you a warning. Because there are a lot of times over the past 25 years as a pastor that I've stood up and told people that we need rest and we need margin only to have a dearly beloved son or daughter come back to me and say, you know, Pastor Chuck, you're right. And so this is what I feel God's telling me to do. We're so busy, and so we just need to take a break from church. I need to take a break from serving in ministry because I just don't ever have a time for just me. And I'm, I serve at my job all the time, so to come serve at church too, this just needs to be my place where I could just kind of hide out. Or, or I need a break from community because I just don't have the soul time to do that missional community thing you talk about. And then I watch. And listen, if the shoe fits, kick it off. It doesn't belong to you. But this is what I watch. I watch as that person walks away from me and they choose recreation and a million activities for their kids and they continue a sporadic, undisciplined schedule, 
and mind-numbing hours of streaming media. And I want to tell you that when you do that, it's like going on a diet and choosing to eliminate salad and holding on to Snickers. And you come here, I'm doing it, Pastor Chuck. I'm going on a diet. No, you're getting diabetes. That's what's happening. I want to beg you, don't cut off the very lanes and rhythms that God made for your rest. It's not good for man to be alone. You need community. I will never stop saying it. And I want to say, I, if you're visiting with us, man, that you will find that this is a safe and loving church. I love Sandra coming and joining our church and seeing her cry because there's something deep about the love here. But I want to say this unapologetically. If you've come and there's been church hurt, we're not going to push you. There will be as much time. We will be gentle and walk slowly with you to say as long as you need to be able to trust again, we're a church of restoration. We're so patient with that. But if you show up and say, what I'm looking for is just a place where I can come and hear a good message and hide in the back, I'm going to tell you we love you too much to settle for that because it will never satisfy your soul. And I promise you, we're going to keep talking about community to the point that I'm going to become a thorn in your side unintentionally. Because I'm going to tell you every single week, you need other people in your life that you walk with regularly. And if this is home, you need some of them here. We need margin to be able to stay with God as we get that. Don't cut off the thing that gives you life. We need the body of Christ. You've been made to serve. It is more blessed to give than receive. I promise you, if you're at the place where you say, I feel busy, and what you want to cut off is serving, it's not going to work. Okay, that was a soapbox I didn't intend to preach. The first point I wanted to make this morning is that God labors for our physical rest. The second is this, that God leads us to emotional rest. Continues in Psalm 23, he says this, God leads me beside quiet waters. The word quiet in Hebrew, it means this. It means a resting place, quiet, peace, consolation, intense happiness. That's my favorite one. And clarity that allows us to find an appropriate expression for our thoughts. It's what it means when God leads you to the quiet. If you haven't figured out yet, the world is not a peaceful stream. It's a raging river of continual information and input and emotion. Most of us in our lives are filled with constant noise and constant activity. And I just want to remind us, if we never step away from the river, we will begin to resent the very blessings we ask God to bring into our lives. Our family, our job, the ministry. Compassion fatigue is very real. And that's why the good shepherd comes, not only and says, come and live in the place that I am, but at times he's going to lead the sheep away to quiet streams where you can remember who and whose you are and you can regain your capacity for compassion. In John 10, he says, my sheep know my voice and I lead them. You remember that? You know the actual picture of what it's saying? It literally means this, my sheep hear my voice and I lead them to a watering station. Did you know that every time God speaks to you, he's inviting you to experience living water that alone would refresh and satisfy your soul? Every word you're ever going to hear from your creator is to refresh you, is to satisfy you, is to help you remember who and whose you are and to regain your capacity to respond in compassion. Maybe you're like me and you find your prayer sometimes look like the psalmist who said this, why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Anybody in the room know the weight of a downcast soul? Anybody know the gravity of feeling deeply disturbed within you and maybe not even having the language for why? You're like, it's just broken. I'm just restless all the time, and I don't know why. How do we get to the quiet place where we hear the shepherd's voice better? How can we follow the good shepherd into rhythms that restore our emotional rest? Real quickly, I just want to give you two practical steps. If that's you, you need quiet and emotional rest. Number one, I would say, consider setting do not disturb times in your life. What do I mean? That's your weekly Sabbath. That'd be the time where you say, I'm off the grid. I said a do not disturb on my phone. Anytime you reach out to me on a Monday, I love you. You won't hear back from me on a Monday. Okay, I love you. There are other pastors that are there on Monday that can receive it, but I'm with my family. I'm Sabbathing, and in case, unless it is an absolutely urgent thing, I'm not going to answer. It's a do not disturb time. Beyond that, some of us need, and I'm preaching to myself right now, a daily phone jail where you get home and you lock your phone up. You're like, you are just going to be away in the room, and I'll let you off tomorrow morning with time off for good behavior, right? Like, that's, what, I'm, I'm not going to see you again because I need to not always be on. For some of us, we need to set in our schedule off hours that are not filled with to-dos, but simply delight with the people that God created us to be with. The second I would say is this. I gave you a do not. Let me give you a do. If you find right now you need emotional rest, you need to make space for delight. you got to find what refreshes you, what inspires you, and what fuels you, and do it. Zephaniah 317, I love this. Pastor Ruth didn't know I was sharing this this morning. I didn't know she was sharing, but Zephaniah, where it talks about God dancing over us. God is dancing over you with singing right now. So first of all, I'm going to get myself in trouble. First of all, for some of us who are too dignified to dance, your God is dancing over you. So if God's dancing over you, when we come in his presence, I think we could just let up. And listen, I'm a white boy with no rhythm. Nobody's going to embarrass themselves more than me when we start to dance. But if God is dancing over you with singing, then you need to know that the story you've been invited into is a story of dancing and delight within creation. I would urge you to find what makes you come alive and do it. If it's going to the beach, you got like it. If it's reading a book, but I never have time, my encouragement, listen, somebody needs to hear this this morning. You need to look at whatever it takes to inspire your soul to come alive, not as an optional luxury for one day, but a key priority for your soul, rest. Somebody, you need to find what makes you delight and do it. And while you're doing it, don't stop coming to church. All right, here we go. Amen. The last point I want to make this morning is this. That God longs to bring us to spiritual restoration and then to breathe restoration through us. So we come full circle. God is laboring for our physical rest. God is longing for our emotional rest. But then God is working to bring us to spiritual restoration and then he wants to breathe it through us. He finishes these verses and he says this. He said, he restores my soul along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We see all around us and within us brokenness that is needing restoration. We see fear and addiction and shame and depression and trauma and abuse and, and, and poisonous, intrusive thoughts. Every, if only they knew, 
or what's wrong with you, the, the brooding sadness inside that you can't seem to shake. And God is showing up in all of those places saying, I want to restore you. And I love this because in Hebrew, the word restore, it means to turn back, to refresh, to completely repair. If you want a picture, it's, it's the picture of everything that has ever been stolen from you coming back home in its original condition. It's Liam Neeson showing up with a particular set of skills to bring his daughter back. But here's the cool thing about our God. When Liam Neeson brought his daughter back, he brought her back and she had a whole lot of trauma. She was safe, but there was a lot of the past that had marked her present and was uh, positioning her future. But no, when our God brings us home, he's even come to heal every trauma of every moment we were gone away from home. He comes to restore us completely. If that's not clear enough, it says that he comes to restore us along paths of righteousness. The word righteous means this, what is right or just or good. But in the New Testament, the word righteousness, it gets a bigger concept. You ready? You know what it means to be righteous? It means becoming again what you were always meant to be. It's a complete return back to Eden. It's being back in the garden where you're not afraid of your God and there's no more separation. There's no shame and nakedness that you need to hide anymore. He's come to restore you completely in righteousness. If we take this picture together, here's what it means. That right now, whether you know it or not, God is stepping onto your field in the midst of your brokenness and your regrets and your could've, would've, should'ves, not with wrath, not with a lecture, but so you would lie down where he lives. And so in that place, he could lead you away from the raging tides of opinion and judgment and negativity and mostly your own that you do to yourself. To lead you from that place to the living water of his Holy Spirit. And right now, if you have eyes to see, you would recognize that he's in the process. If only you would let him of turning you back into everything you were always meant to be. And he's going to do this because it's who he is. He does it for his name's sake. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how well you do it. No, this is just who our God is. It's what he does, and it will never change. He's restorer and healer, and savior, and redeemer, and father, and husband, and comforter, and friend. And he hasn't come just so that we would receive this, but that healing would so deeply become our inheritance and define us that we can't help ourselves, but spend our very lives as agents of restoration. He restores my soul. What does it mean? It means he restores me from freedom from fear unshackling from shame, healing from trauma, liberation from bondage, capturing my poisonous thoughts and renewing them with life-giving ones. He equips me in the full armor of his spirit and then he commissions me in that place while I'm still in my brokenness being made whole by him to lead others into his restoration because that's who he is. So my final question this morning is this. How can we let him? How can we follow the good shepherd into rhythms of spiritual restoration? I have just two practical steps, and it's with this we're going to close. First, I would say we need to let him in 
every room. How do we experience spiritual restoration? Here it is. Start saying to God what you're not saying. Let me go deeper. Start saying to God the things you won't even admit to yourself. The doubts, the fears, the weights, the traumas, the worries. Every undesired recurring thought and action that you can't seem to shake, let him in every room. If there's something to do today, you'd say, God, you could come in everywhere. I don't know, because the scripture says that he cares for us, that he's tender, that he longs to heal us, that he will make beauty from our ashes. But first, we've got to be honest about the ashes. We've got to let him into every room. The second thing I'll say is this. If we want to be serious about restoration, you've got to belong to communities of restoration. Here at Overflow, the way we do that is missional communities. We do that. Pastor Cindy leads a beautiful restoration ministry. There are other support groups like, like AA that we've seen that have walked as a beautiful support for people that become a family that years and years and years after they say, my sobriety, my wholeness is because of this group of people. It's God working through this group of people where we come together. I want to tell you as a church, we have a huge heart for restoration. You won't have to look very far in any direction at this church to hear many testimonies of how God radically has stepped in and brought freedom, but I promise you, you will hear none of them in isolation. You will not hear a single person show up and say, hey, it was just me and Jesus alone in a room, and that's all I've been the last five years, and my life has been completely transformed, and nobody helped. Nobody was a part of it. It's just me and Jesus. He made us to belong to family. Our missional communities, the reason we make such a big deal about them is they are safe spaces where you and I can see that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. If there's a last key I could give you, it's this. Don't walk alone. Isolation is the enemy's playground where he seeks to discourage us, where he gets us to rationalize our thoughts. That's when you tell yourself rational lies. That's all it means to rationalize. And it's the place that he seeks to bury us in shame. So I want to urge you, you want to live a life of restoration, number one, you've got to let God in every room, but number two, you've got to let other people in. So I want to circle back around to the start. Thomas Merton said that the great disease that's killing us is called busyness. We talked about how we have restless souls, and we asked, can anything be done? I would say to you this morning, if you and I would have eyes to see, we would see that right now, regardless of any of your performance, the shepherd of your soul is standing on your field saying that he wants to live there with you with his hand extended for you to be able to experience rest and delight. Are you ready to join him? Would you stand with me? I'm just going to ask in this moment, we're going to take the word of God from our head to our heart to our feet. Would you just lay your hand on your heart for just a minute and close your eyes? I want to make this personal. And we do this. I have you lay your hand on your heart. I promise we're not getting ready to give the Pledge of Allegiance. I do this to ground you to say, this is about me right now. This isn't about anybody else. God, you want to speak to me right now. I just want to ask a few questions in this place. I'm going to ask even now our prayer ministers to come forward. And I want to urge you, I'm going to give a few challenges just before we leave this morning. If at any point one of these is you and you start feeling to yourself, gosh, I really need that. I'm just going to ask for you to step out from your seat and come find one of these prayer ministers and let them agree with you. Let me say this too, though. 
Maybe right now you've come in this morning, you're like, that's awesome. Your message about rest is great. I desperately need physical healing or emotional healing or my marriage is falling apart or I've got some other need that's not even what we've talked about this morning. I want to urge you, this is your moment, even now, even as I'm talking, would you step out from your seat because we don't want a single soul to leave this place unchanged from anything the Lord wants to give you today. So now with your hand on your heart, if at any point God calls you, I'm going to ask you to come forward. But these are the questions I want to ask. Where do you most need rest? Come on, somebody this morning, what you need is body rest. You need sleep. And the Lord is saying to you right now that you need his anointing, his covering, his wisdom. Right now, hand on your heart, would you say, Lord, that's me. I'm one of those sleep deprived. And I've been making a joke about it and I recognize now it's holy and I lay it down. Would you lead me? Would you tell him right now? For somebody here at Sabbath and you've made the agreement, I got to be on. I got to work. I got to do all the time. Even in your day on, off of work, you're on call all the time. And God's saying enough is enough. The first thing I called you to was Sabbath. Would you lay it down? Father, I haven't obeyed you. And I'm asking right now that you'd give me the wisdom and the strategy to Sabbath. Come on, for somebody right now. What you need is soul rest. Your mind is always going. You've got constant information. Maybe you looked and said, gosh, I, I might not be as far as that eight hours and 44 minutes a day on my cell phone, but it could be pretty close. And God's speaking to you right now about times of quiet and the restoring of delight where he wants you to come away with him because he's a father who delights in you and you're always his little kid. Come on right now, hand on your heart. Would you begin just to tell him? Father, I need help. Father, I need help. I need you to meet me in this place. Would you help my soul to rest? Maybe you can't remember the last time you created space for delight. You become a human doing, and you've stopped being a human being. Would you say, God, I'm still here. Would you show me my heart again? Would you show me the delight of my heart again? Come on, even now, I'm going to encourage, even as I'm speaking, that you wouldn't just listen to me. Let's not be spectators. If anything I say, start speaking to where you're at. Right now, you and God, just, just begin speaking to him quietly and say, Lord, this is where I'm asking you to move in my life. The last question I want to ask is this. Do you need spiritual restoration this morning? Are there deep places where you see unhealed pain and trauma or a mindset, or an addiction, or a behavior, and you just can't shake it, and the enemy's been coming in and saying, if only other people knew, and you've been hiding, and you've been isolating, can today be the day where you say, enough's enough, I'm not listening to those rational lies anymore. I'm stepping out of isolation and into community. For somebody right now, you might just come to a prayer minister and say, here's the deal. I know that's what I need to do, but unless I speak it to somebody before I leave, I will trick myself again by 1 p.m. this afternoon and be back in my little colony of isolation. Somebody needs to find someone this morning and say, I need community, and I need you to pray that I'd have the courage to walk it through. Somebody this morning... You've seen God not as father, but as a harsh taskmaster or a distant creator. And you're hearing this morning this picture of a God 
that would be compassionate and loving and tender and present. And you don't even know if you can fathom that because you haven't experienced it in your life, but you desperately want it. I'm just going to ask right now with everybody else's eyes closed, if that's you this morning and you're saying, I need to know God as my father. The international sign of surrender is just to lift both uh, hands over your head. I'm just going to ask with everybody else's eyes closed, if that's you and you're saying, I just need to know my father this morning, would you just lift both of your hands? I just want to pray for you. Would you just lift both hands? Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right now, would you just say this? God, I want to know you as father. I don't want to know you as a concept. I want to know you as my father. God, I don't want to know you as harsh or distant. I want to know you as ever-present. I want to be able to understand your wraparound arms coming around me. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I don't want to live as my own worst enemy. I believe that you know me better than I know me. And when my heart tries to condemn me, you've come to save me. Here it is, just say this, would you come father me? Would you come father me? Oh Lord, I just pray right now for each person that lifted that prayer. Would you do what I know you're doing? Would you make the tangible sense of your presence and your delight come take over completely? May fear and shame and guilt and heaviness go in the name of Jesus. And may your delight come. If you are one that prayed this, I just want to encourage you. Would you tell somebody today? Maybe find one of these prayer ministers. I'll be at the door before we leave. Would you just tell somebody today to say, this is the decision that I'm making with Jesus because I want to walk with him. We want to help you walk it out in community. For every person right now, this is what I want to pray. Father God, we do not want to walk in our own strength. We do not want another message of some time management or soul management hacks. We need your spirit, God. I ask right now that every word that you are speaking to our souls, that we be present on a field of delight with you, that you would release them completely. I thank you, God, that every revelation that you gave to each of our hearts, that you're with us on the field, that you'll walk with us as we leave this place. We ask for the empowering of your spirit, for your grace to surround us. Father, we love you. We trust you. We give it all to you. Thank you, Lord.